That's me. This is my third shirt that I've had on today. I put a shirt on when I got up. Then I got dressed to come to church, read through my notes, went and changed that shirt. It was already soaking. And then I think I've made a mistake in putting this shirt on because I think this is polyester and cotton, not just cotton. So I think I'll throw this shirt out when I get home. No, I'm not putting that around my neck, thank you. Thank you for that offer though, that was lovely. You probably have a remote control that can tighten it. Today is a baptism Sunday. Not in our 8.30 service, but in our next service, the 10.30 service, we have four people getting baptised. A young girl out of our 10.30 service and uh, three folk out of our Mandarin service. So God is doing great things both in the Mandarin congregation and in our Cantonese congregation. So four people are getting baptised at about 10.30 in the first 15, 20 minutes of that service, uh, which would be great because I get to change. (laughs) And then uh, there were a couple of baptisms tonight, a couple of our young guys who have uh, been in their D teams, Michael and Nick, and have responded in terms of a challenge that was given to them about if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, then it's a command, you need to be baptised. And they said, well, we haven't been, so they are. And so that's on tonight. So that's exciting to see God at work in their lives. And then there are some other people, likewise, who have said they're interested in baptism and uh, that'll be put into the new year at some point. We've already uh, started planning for next year and we've already scheduled in four baptism services on the fifth Sunday of each month. So wherever that happens to fall in March or June, July, August, October, wherever those months are, on the fifth Sunday uh, of a month, we're going to make those our baptism services and we're going to make them a gospel service so that you will know that. So if you know the fifth Sunday's coming up, then you know it's a Sunday you can particularly invite your family or friends to or whatever. Um, uh, We may schedule some other times for baptisms throughout the year, but there's certainly those four where we're going to aim to make them significant times. Uh, Rhonda and I head off tomorrow. Uh, I have a week away. Rhonda's taking a couple of weeks away. She needs a week away from me. <coughs> no, she doesn't. Yes, yeah, she does. She's going down to see her dad. Uh, and then at some point, I'm not sure when, but when I come back, uh, Kate and Dan, who are in Hawaii at the moment, the younger generation, I don't know. So they're having a lovely time over there. Uh, They'll come back with me and then they're here for a week or two weeks, it's unknown. Uh, Then they fly to London. I think I've told you already that Dan's got a job in London. Uh, And so they're moving over there for the next three plus years. And so August, September, Rhonda and I are having long service leave and of course we're going to London and we've got free accommodation now. So that'll work out very well. Next Sunday, obviously, therefore, I'm away. Our preacher is going to be Wayne Wilder in our morning services and at night our Chinese pastor, our Cantonese pastor, Alvin Tam, is going to be our preacher. And then the following Sundays, we've uh, got some internals on the 12th, but we put out a call to invite some visiting speakers in to come preach their best sermon, the best one they preached this year. Uh, so be in prayer for them. Scott Carpenter is going to preach at the 8.30 service on the 12th. Uh, Bruce Hallowell on the 10.30 service on the 12th. And... I think it's uh, Josh at, uh, t- on the 12th at night. Josh was speaking, supposed to be speaking here this morning at 8.30 at this same passage. We were, he was going to do 8.30, I was going to do 10.30 and 6.30. And uh, He rang me during the week. His, uh, things got out of control for him a little bit and 
he said, would you mind if you know, I did all three services at the same message, basically, there'd be some slight changes. Um, and I said that would be okay. So pray for him. And uh, on the last Sunday in the month, 26th of January, I think that is, at night, we have Brendan Cottam. Brendan is our new student in training for ministry. Uh, I don't think he's preached before. He's certainly preached at college and he's certainly done youth talks, but this will be the first time before his church that he'll be speaking publicly. So pray for him. We've got some training to do over January to make sure he's up to speed. And, and I've asked some of you others likewise to, uh, if you were available, to fill in while we uh, look for an interim as well as uh, respond to the pastoral needs of our church. Passage I'm going to read to you this morning because it is a baptismal Sunday, but it also is a great passage to read at the end of the year. It's Romans chapter 6. Just the front half of it. Because it talks about being under new management. It talks about change. It talks about uh, the old going and the new coming, just like at the end of the year. So we're going to talk, talk our way through the first 14 verses this morning and has application to us, both in terms of at the end of the year as we face the new year, but also for us on our spiritual journey as we continue to follow the Lord Jesus. So Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Um, I guess by way of introduction, before I read that passage, I should say this. Uh, that Paul, in the book of Romans, he started out in the first three chapters basically talking about our condition, our sinful condition, that we are guilty and we're in a desperate situation. And that's true for all of us. We're all stained by sin, for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. That's the first three chapters. And then the next three chapters, a bit of chapter 3, 4 and 5, he talks about the salvation that God has provided in response to our great need, our great... Um, our guilt, God has addressed that by forgiving us in the person of the Lord Jesus, that we receive God's mercy as we receive his son. And in fact, he makes a comment at the end of chapter 5 that the greater the sin in a person's life, the greater is the manifestation of God's grace and mercy towards that person, which leads to chapter 6. Yeah, Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? If Great sin receives great grace. Does that mean we should keep sinning so that God gets the opportunity to show great grace so that he gets glorified that way? That's the question. That's the logic that Paul's anticipating. Verse 2, Paul says, absolutely not, by no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Well, don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That's the point. We are called, been enabled, empowered to live a new life. Verse 5. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he can't die again, death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin 
once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you should obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. Let me invite you to bear with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have watched over us uh, each step of the way throughout this year. And on this, the final Sunday of the year, we continue to find ourselves in your presence, continue to find ourselves looking to you, continue to find ourselves hands to the plough and following the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your word and for your spirit and for one another. And we pray that your spirit will take your word and you might shape us, that we together might be your community speak to us lord shape us uh, speak into our minds our hearts and our wills we pray in jesus name amen um, in the next service and tonight i'm going to take a few minutes and just talk about baptism um, but there is a threefold commitment to baptism there's something god does there's something we do but there's also something the church does there's something we do, we have to repent and believe. There's something God does. He sent Jesus to die on the cross, the Spirit to convict us, and he forgives and cleanses us from our sin. But there's something the church does as well. And the church's responsibility is to actually baptise and to incorporate. And that incorporation is a recognition that this person who is being baptised is a person who is a follower of the Lord Jesus is now under new management. That's my good heading for this chapter. That's my heading for Romans chapter 6. Who's in charge in your life? And Paul says in Romans chapter 6, it's not you. It used to be you. If you're in Christ, you're no longer in charge. He is. Before you became a follower of Jesus, you were in charge. You used to live in another kingdom, the kingdom of Satan, where he was the master and he was the one who called the shots, but you were in charge of your life under him. But now you have been converted. Now you've been transferred from his kingdom to a new kingdom, the kingdom of the Lord Jesus, where you're no longer in charge. Jesus is in charge. You can still hear the voice of Satan suggesting things and tempting you and wanting to deceive you and delude you and all of that. <clears throat> but you don't have to obey him now. Jesus is now in charge of your life. He's the new manager. New manager. You're under new management. You've seen stores like that. When you see those signs under new management, why did they put that sign out? They're saying because things are different. And you go into the shops and things have been moved around, things have been changed, there's new business plans, there's new customer services ideas, there's change that's happened. So too for us as followers of the Lord Jesus, we are under new management and Jesus is the new rightful owner. But we do need to be ready for opposition, the evil one who will come against us. And I may come back to that. I may not this morning. It depends on our time. So let me work our way through this passage and then make some application to it. <clears throat> if we are under new management, then verse 1 is asking the question, does being in this new manage, under this new management, under grace, does that encourage us to sin? There are some people who think like that, actually, who think 
if I am in Christ and he has forgiven me for my sin, then if I sin now, will he forgive me? Yes, he will. So there are some people who think erroneously that it doesn't matter if I sin or not. In fact, if I do sin, God will forgive me. That makes sense? There are some people who think that about the teaching of eternal security, that because we are in Christ and we're saved and he keeps us forever, then it doesn't matter what I do. In fact, that's not what the Bible teaches at all. The Bible teaches the opposite, that if you are in Christ, you are under new management and under new management, things will change. Listen to this. It is impossible to be in Christ, to be under new management, to be part of his kingdom, to be a follower of Jesus. It is impossible to be a converted Christian and to not be changing. If you are not changing, and probably you haven't been converted. It is impossible for you to be in Christ and not to be in the process of change. I'm not saying that you'll be sinless. I'm not saying that you won't stumble. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that you will be improving. You will be changing. There'll be change of desires. There'll be a change of habits. There'll be a change of choices and of actions. There is change going on. Let me uh, read to you what one contemporary Christian author has said who doesn't agree with what I just said then. And I want to, before I read it to you, because you may be shocked before I get to the end of the conclusion, I want to give you my conclusion. The Greek word for what this guy wrote is rubbish. The Hebrew word is nonsense. It's not true. He says this, quote, You can be saved and have absolutely no fruit. You can be saved and have no evidence, no practical righteousness. It isn't desirable, it isn't God's will, it isn't the best, but it's possible. Nonsense. That's not true. If you are in Christ, there will be evidence, there will be change, there will be fruit. It will come. Even the thief on the cross, the guy who got converted in the last hours of his life, even he demonstrated fruit and evidence of change. There's a change in his attitude and there's a change in his speech. And there's certainly the demonstration of faith. If you are in Christ, you will be being changed. That's exactly what Romans 6 is arguing about. That if you're under new management, the new manager, Jesus, will institute change. What change? Well, when you give your life to Christ, when you become to the point of awareness that you have sin and you are guilt and you come to Christ and say, I need forgiveness and you ask him for it, he does these things. He pays the penalty for your sin. So now you no longer have to pay the penalty for your sin. You no longer face wrath. God's wrath, God's judgment, that's been paid for in full by Jesus. The penalty is removed. Jesus removes also, Romans 6, he removes the power of sin. The power of sin has been broken. Before you are in Christ, the power of sin was a grip around you. It changed you. You were powerless to not sin. Even the good things you do were tainted by pride and ego and sinfulness. But in, and you couldn't choose not to sin. But in Christ, what he has done is broken the power of sin. That means I can choose not to sin. It doesn't mean that I won't sin because we are fallen, we'll still make bad choices. 
but it means I can now choose not to. Before I couldn't choose it, now I can. He broke the power of sin. Penalty of sin is paid for in full. Power of sin is broken. He deals with the pleasures of sin. The Bible certainly says that sin is pleasurable for a season. The evil one deceives us. He thinks that he cons us into saying, if you engage in this activity or if you uh, imbibe in this particular habit, whatever your particular sinful course takes you in, that you will find pleasure in it. And you do, temporarily. But now that you are in Christ, you will find that your pleasures in sin will be changing. For some people, it happens very dramatically. For other people, it's a very slow process. But you will find that it's changing. Uh, that sin won't deliver the pleasures as much as it used to before. And like I said, it's all varying for all different sorts of us, but you will find that. In fact, the more you are obedient to Christ and filled with his spirit and following him, the closer you are to him, the more you will find that to be true, that sin will not be attractive. So if in your particular part of your journey you're finding sin attractive, there's a clue. Something's not right in my relationship here. Something's not up to date in my obedience. He dealt with the penalty of sin. He dealt with the power of sin. He's dealt with the pleasures of sin. And one day, as this verse says, verse 12, not until this mortal body is removed, not until we die or until the rapture when Jesus comes again and we are transformed, not until this mortal body is dealt with, then he will remove the presence of sin. The presence of sin. But at the moment, it's a bit like this. Here before I became a Christian... There is sin around me, sinful influences around me, but there is also sin within me. It's a force and a power within. And I am caught in sin. I'm chained to sin. I'm under the dominion of sin. But now, in Christ, sin is still around me. I still live in a fallen world. I still have a physical mortal body which is fallen, broken because of sin. But within, I have a new heart. I have a new spirit. I now have a power within me that enables me to live in this hostile environment. And it comes down, therefore, to choice. Who will I choose to obey? Will I choose to obey the spirit within me, the word of God and his direction in my life? Or will I listen to the outside influences that are conning me, tricking me, the evil one's influences, even in this fallen world? That's what verse 13 says. Don't offer yourselves to sin as instruments of wickedness, but offer yourselves to God. It's a daily choice. We'll come back to that. Let me work through this passage quickly. Paul says, verse 2, we can't go on sinning because something happened in our life. We made a decision. We died to sin. Now, depending on your translation, please don't, un don't understand. This is a difficult passage, and scholars have wrestled with this for years, and uh, I've got a particular view, uh, but it's my view. Uh, I'm not alone in my view. Um, but there'll be people who have a different view. When Paul says here we died to sin, he's not saying we are dead to sin. He's not saying over here that a, a dead person is just unresponsive. He doesn't mean that. He doesn't mean dead as in unresponsive. He means dead as in separated from. Uh, the, the influence and the power has been removed from me. It's now up to me what I will do, if that makes sense. We died to sin. It's a decision that we made in the past which has ongoing results into the future. So if you died to sin, how can you live in it any longer? 
If you made a decision to separate from sin, accept Jesus and receive forgiveness, how can you then make a choice to want to keep going? If I made a decision to give up zero Coke, how can I want to go out and buy zero Coke? If you made a decision, it has ongoing consequences. And then he gives the illustration of baptism. Well, don't you know that all of us, as followers of the Lord Jesus, who were baptised into Christ, were baptised into his death? This is the symbolism of baptism that we understand. That you come into the water, your old life is behind you, and because you have died to your old life, you're saying goodbye to me being in charge of my life and I'm inviting Jesus to be Lord of my life. Goodbye to the old. I have died to the old way. What do you do with someone who has made that choice? You bury them. Someone who has died, you bury them. That's what we do in the water of baptism. We put them under the water. They are buried. But then just as Jesus rose from the dead, so we rise from the water. But we rise into newness of life. That's why I think Immersion is the correct understanding of New Testament baptism because of this picture of what's going on. And the whole point of it is that we may live a new life. Verse 5, if we have been united with Jesus like him in his death, if we have been identified with Jesus like him in his death, we've accepted his death, we will, future, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection, at our resurrection. We live between the cross and his, our resurrection. We're in this in-between zone. Verse 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, nailed to the cross, a little bit more than wounded, but not completely removed, crucified with him. Why? So that this body of sin might one day be done away with in the future at our death, or our rapture, our resurrection, that we should no longer be slaves to sin here and now because anyone who has died has been freed from sin, severed, set free in this life. Verse 8. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him in the future. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. We identify with him. Therefore, the death he died... He died to sin once for all. The life he lives, he lives to God. And we are united with him. He died to sin, we die to sin. He lives to God, we live to God. That's the point. And now the application. Verse 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul is saying for us here, there are three key words. There is something for you to know, there's something for you to count or to consider or to reckon, depending on your Bible translation, and there is something for you to choose, something for you to hand over. In verse 6 and verse 9, he says, there's something for you to know, to know these truths, that Christ came into the world, that Jesus died and he died for sin and he died to sin, that he rose again from the dead, that he ascended, that he lives for God and with God, and that we are identified with him. That's something for you to know. So that when you wake up in the morning and you don't feel like following Jesus, there are things for you to remind yourself of, that I am a follower of Jesus. I don't feel like following him closely today. I want to go do my own thing. But I am to know this truth to affect my mind. 
verse 11, then I am to reckon or to consider and I am to have the mental attitude in my heart to count myself dead to sin. No, I won't sin because I am in Christ. It's up to me to listen to him and to make a choice. Not to listen to my feelings, but to listen to his word, to listen to the influence of spirit in my life. And I am to make a daily choice, verse 12 and 13. Not to offer myself to sin, but to offer myself to God. It's a military analogy. It's me presenting myself to him for service, that I, here I am, Lord, fully available. I place myself at your disposal. Something for us to know, something for us to consider, something for us to choose to do. We are to build our lives on these truths. Jesus said, if you continue to obey my teaching, then truly you are my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's the truth, that we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. That sin's dominion over us has been severed, it's been broken. We don't have to sin. We can choose not to. Not by willpower, but by his power, because he has been at work in us. This new thinking is to replace and to affect my daily choices. The reality is, as we live over here following the Lord Jesus, with all the influence of the evil one around us, and he works directly and through his spirits, he also works through people, outside people, he can also work through one another, through Christians. He has a multitude of ways, he's an expert at it, and we can't defeat him on our own. That's why we need to be obedient to Jesus and in fellowship with one another, encouraging one another. So here we are in this world with lots of influences coming against us, but with this transformed heart, a new creation, a new life in Christ, and called to be light in the midst of darkness. And we are to make daily choices based upon this information that we have. And so when temptation comes, here is what I have learnt. The best way to resist temptation is what we're instructed to do is not by saying to myself, I won't do it, I won't do it, I won't do it. That's not the best way. Because what I find is that what I resist persists. Um, negative reinforcement. It's like wet paint, don't touch. And what do you want to do? You want to touch it. And so I won't do it, I won't do it, I won't do it, doesn't work. What does work? You resist by replacing. A thought comes into your mind, more than likely from evil sources, uh, to either doubt or to disobey. Then instead of saying, I won't do it, and arguing to resisting it, it's really changed the way you are thinking. Instead of thinking about the doubt or the disobedience, replace it with some other biblical truth, some other aspect of the person of Christ. Change what you're thinking about. Because if you resist it, it'll just keep coming at you and persist and then you'll give in. But if you refocus, if you change the focus of the, tempta of the thinking, then the temptation vaporises, disappears. That's what I have found. It doesn't go away, it'll come back. But I have found that's the best way for me to gain victory over uh, temptations that come against us. And so I pass it on to you.
Paul says in this passage, something for us as believers to know at the end of this year, that we have been united with Christ, we died with him, we have been delivered from sin's penalty, from sin's power, from sin's pleasures. And one day when he returns, we'll be delivered from sin's presence. In the meantime, we are to uh, choose on a daily basis to be obedient to him. And the more we choose that, the more attractive that becomes to us as we are transformed into passionate followers of Jesus. There has been a transferal and now there is to be a transformation that we are to be changed into the image of the Lord Jesus. That's God's purpose and that's what God is doing in our world. So the questions for us are quite easy. Have you been transferred? Have you repented, believed? Have you asked God to forgive you for your sin? Have you experienced that new birth experience? And if you have, and many of you have, but if you haven't, then this is the best Sunday to do it. Don't put it off. Ask God to forgive you for your sin and do it today. For those of you who have made that decision, then it's then coming down to you're under new management. And what does the new manager want to achieve in your life? Ask him to help you make those daily choices. Surrender your mortal body to him as a living sacrifice that he might use you to advance his purposes in the world. And you're not in this alone. Commit yourself to a church. Commit yourself to a life group. And then for some of you who have been transferred and you're in the process of being transformed, have you been baptised? Under new management. His command is to be baptised, to publicly declare your faith in Christ. The way we do that in our church is through the waters of baptism. Other churches, they do that in other ways. But have you made that public declaration of faith in Jesus? Have you obeyed his command? Today is a day that you could do that. Let me lead you in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are sovereign. You have responded to our sinful situation by sending the Saviour. And in being united with him, we have been delivered from sin's dominion. And your spirit now within us is in the process of transforming us. Lord, help us to cooperate with what you're doing. Help us to live consistent with what you're doing. Help us to make daily choices, to surrender our lives to you, for you to use us as an instrument, a tool of righteousness. Lord, for those who are thinking about, who haven't yet made the decision to follow Jesus, I pray that you would convict them and draw them. Help them to respond to your call today. For those who haven't been obedient in terms of baptism, public declaration of faith, Lord, work in their lives and give them the courage to step up, just like the young guys tonight. And for the rest of us, Lord, I pray that you might fill us with your spirit and continue the process of changing us. Help us to be daily obedient, reflecting you to the world around us. May your will be done in us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.